I'm going to go ahead and introduce Carla so I, we don't take more of her time once we do get the technical problems figured out. Um, anyway, Carla Moore is our speaker for this hour. She and her husband, John, are blessed to work together in a ministry called Bible Passages. They spend half of their year working here in Denver. They're here for three months. They go back to Texas for three months. They come here for three months, go back to Texas for three months. And we love the three, the six months of the year that we get them. Uh, when they're back in Texas, they are closer to their family. Uh, they're involved in mission work and marriage and family seminars. Carla loves working with women. Uh, and at the Bible Institute here, she is our Dean of Women. Um, she enjoys writing and blogging. Her blog is walkingwherejesuswalked.com. I highly recommend it. She also writes a column uh, entitled Bible Landmarks that is in Christian Woman Magazine every month. Uh, and she also writes frequently for Come Fill Your Cup. She and John have got three children, three sons, Jordan and a daughter-in-law, Erin, and Jacob, and a daughter-in-law, Alyssa, and Micah, who is married to Courtney. They have four beautiful grandchildren, uh, Jackson, Emmeline, Clara, and Turner. Just ask her. She'll show you pictures. Oh, I have pictures. <laughs> this is why I'm trying to get this working. She's yaya to them, and she is dear friend to me. Um, if you ever get a chance to go on one of their Israel trips with them, highly, highly recommend that you will see the Bible in a whole different way if you get to travel with them to Israel. Um, several of us in this room have done that, so just ask us. Um, but my dear friend Carla will bring us a lesson when we get <laughs> get everything ready. Song and dance routine. It's just not about it. I'll just I'll just turn it around and pick it up. It's fine. It's okay. It's not a big deal. We'll get it next time. Yeah. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Here it is. <laughs> Okay. Let's see if anything else can go wrong. Good morning. It's really good to be here with you. I'm excited to be before you and to see your faces and people that I haven't seen in a long time that I'm really excited to see. And uh, just thank you for being here. I'm going to start out with something a little unpleasant, though. The topic, I'm just going to turn this around and some of you can see it. It's not a big deal to, to see it. I'll be able to get through without it. But I want you to imagine something a little unpleasant. It's Sunday morning and sitting next to you is a former prostitute. On opposite sides of the room, avoiding one another, are two of your Christian sisters who were involved in a very bitter, very public Dispute, and tomorrow they're headed to court. At the end of the next row is a woman that you know, know used to be in a sexual relationship with another woman. And serving communion to you is a man who is known as the town drunk, used to be known as the town drunk. 
And as you came in the doors, you could feel tension so thick you could cut it with a knife because of two families who were in the middle of a very public and bitter feud. But more than anything else, the elephant in the room, one of your members is known by the entire town to be involved in an incestuous relationship. And what's even worse than that is the people in your congregation are okay with it. In fact, they brag about how welcoming they are to any and everyone. They say, who are we to judge? You know what? This may be much more accurate than we care to think in the church at Corinth, the book that we're studying this weekend. When you read through, and I encourage you to read through the whole book in one sitting, and you'll see a lot of things that you haven't seen before. But when you read through it, you see the disunity in the congregation. You see the division and the conflict and the lack of spiritual growth. You see jealousy. You see sexual immorality of such a kind that's not even spoken among the Gentiles. Can you imagine what that, how embarrassing that would be? This church was still a very young church, 30 or so years after the beginning of the church, the very beginning of the church. So they still needed help. They still needed guidance. They needed Paul's help and his, his counsel. But I think it seems like this church was losing ground. They were slipping. The culture around them was causing them to slip. And Paul loved them enough to correct them and guide them and to warn them about scary things that were coming and that were already there. Well, what about Bear Valley 2021? What about Dripping Springs 2021? Parker, Colorado 2021? San Marcos, Texas 2021? Conifer, Colorado 2021? What about all of our congregations everywhere that we are from right now? We are not a baby church. The church has been in existence for 2,000 plus years. We have readily available the scriptures, except I don't have my Bible up here with me, (laughs) but all of you have your Bibles. We have scripture so easily available to open up online, in print. Anywhere you look, you can find a Bible. Are we losing ground? Are we losing ground here? Is our culture causing us to slip? I believe it is. Are we afraid of the social backlash that comes when we say something publicly about sin? Are we afraid of these social agendas that are becoming more and more prevalent that tell us we can't know the difference between male and female? Up is down. Down is up. Right is wrong and wrong is right. But the Bible told us this would happen. Do we not more than ever need to be deep in the word, deep in the word of God, seeking correction, seeking guidance, seeking that teaching and that encouragement that God will give us to be grounded in the faith? We need that reminder of what the Lord did for us. I need that. You know what? Scary things are on our horizon, too. Scary things are here right now. Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians to address their questions that they had sent him. And he wanted to remind them of their obligation and their commitment to the Lord. And our text this morning is at the very end of this letter in chapter 16. And he was wrapping up all of the things that he was to say. At the end of your letters, when you're writing someone, what do you do? 
when you wrap things up, you remind them of how you love them, right? Last minute things, things that are very important that you want them to, to be sure of. And that's what he did here. And in chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, he gives five imperatives. And these in the Greek are verbs that deliver a command to follow through on the action that's given. All of these verbs are in the present tense, and that means that they're to continue obeying these commands, continue doing the things that they've been instructed to do. So our text, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, this says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I want us to take a closer look at these commands that are very much applicable to us right now, today, September the 18th, 2021. Most of these words in the Greek are just one word. And in our English language, they're translated out into more. The first one is a word, and I put it in the manuscript, but it's a word that's pronounced Gregoreo, and it means to be on the alert. Oh, wait, I was going to show you all a fun picture of a fighting congregation. (laughs) Be on the alert. I know y'all can't see that. It means to be in constant readiness, to be watchful. Be vigilant for your life, your spiritual life. When we look at these words, it's good to look at other places where they're used to see more about their meaning. And this word is used in Matthew 26, verse 38. And this is when Jesus was in the garden and he was there with certain of his disciples. And remember, he asked them to watch and pray. That word watch is the same word here. He wanted them to be alert with him, didn't he? But they weren't. It's also used in 1 Peter 5, 8. And this is the passage passage that tells us to be of sober spirit. In other words, be on alert. Because why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that someone is you and I. And it seems like when you read through this book of 1 Corinthians, it seems like they opened the door wide to these sins. They were not guarding against them. They were opening the door wide to these sins. Are we doing that? Have we done that? Our job is to be a sentry. Imagine those guards up on prison towers that are looking and watching, making sure that no one gets in or out. That's our job, to be a sentry, to be watching. We're to prevent harm. That's what we want to do, prevent harm for our families, for our churches. A sentry's job is to call out an alarm when he sees danger on the horizon. Here's the shameless plug picture of my grandchildren. But let me tell you what, when I think about being on guard and careful and on the alert, I'm not sure what it is, but I find myself much more on guard with them than I was with my own children. (laughs) What'd you say? Someone have some reason? Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? I'm constantly following along behind them as they're toddling along and I'm looking for broken glass or cigarette butts that they might put in their mouth or bees that might sting them and I don't know if they're allergic to them. I'm on guard with my grandchildren because I love them, because I want to protect them. I don't want any harm to come to them. 
And that's what God wants us to do within our churches. He wants us to be on guard, on the alert, and protective, and keep anything bad from happening to those that we love. The next word is a word that means that he says stand firm, and it's pronounced stako. And this means to persevere, to be steadfast, to be firmly committed in conviction. But what do we tend to persevere in? What do we tend to be firmly convicted about? I think a lot of us, and me included, it tends to be my opinions or maybe traditions. Or maybe there are other things like arguments that we have. I have told myself I'm probably going to be the only one that doesn't mention what we've all been talking about. But there's so many arguments going on right now. And we're very firm in our opinions, aren't we? And we're very dogmatic about what we believe. Do we do that with the truth of the gospel? I think we tend to be a little bit more dogmatic and strong about our opinions about what things are going on right now in this world than in the world that's to come. Paul says to stand firm in the faith, in the truth of the gospel. He doesn't say just stand firm. He says stand firm in the faith, doesn't he? How was this word used elsewhere? It was used in Philippians 4, verse 1. He says, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. So in what way was he talking about? When you look up at the chapter above in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he says when you live by the standard that they had been given, that Paul gave them this standard, follow Paul's example in walking according to the pattern. So stand firm in the Lord. Also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul was comforted and he was thrilled to hear of the Thessalonian church's faith and love. And he said, now we really live. He said, now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Sad. There is no life like the life in Christ when we stand firm in the Lord. Now, I'm not any expert in battle strategy. I barely understand any of the World War II movies that John loves to to um, watch. But I did watch Braveheart and Gladiator. And I remember they're standing in line formation. And the enemy is advancing. And Braveheart, William Wallace, is yelling, Hold! Hold! Remember? Have y'all seen this movie? Yes. Telling them to hold the line. Don't let anyone break through. You hold. You stand fast. You don't let any danger through. We're going to wait until it's time to attack. Hold the line. That's what we're to do. Those soldiers in in these movies and in real life, the history of them, they were convicted about their cause. They were committed to their king. And this should be our battle strategy as well. We're to hold the line. The next one, he says, is to act like men. And this is a little bit confusing because regardless of what the culture wants to tell us right now, I'm not a man. None of you are men. But act like men. This Greek word is pronounced andrizomai. And again, it's just one word in the Greek. And it means to conduct yourself in a courageous way. It means to prevail to show courage. This isn't just for men. This letter was written to the Corinthian church. So it was written to every man, woman, and child who was a Christian in the church at Corinth. 
And the word is only used here in the New Testament. But in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word is used several times, and it's translated courageous most of the time. Be courageous. It's used five times in the book of Joshua when he says, be strong and courageous. God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. God expected a lot from Joshua in these battles, and he provided the courage. God provided the courage that Joshua needed. What about us today? We should not be spiritual babies any longer. But the Corinthians were, weren't they? They were spiritual babies. Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul called them infants in Christ. I want to challenge you, my, my sisters in Christ, my fellow women, to grow. Our slogan here for the women's program is that serious Bible study is not just for, for men. Deep Bible study is not just for men. It's for you as well. It's for me as well. We are every bit as capable of understanding and studying. We are just as responsible for spiritual growth as men are. Our roles are different, but we have to know the word in order to guard against these things that are trying to get in, to slip in. We've got to guard against sin. We've got to protect our families. And how we do that is by growing in the word of God. The next one is be strong. Women, are we weak in more ways than one? I'd like for all of us to consider, am I weak spiritually? Insert your name in there. Am I weak spiritually? Carla, am I weak spiritually? What is my personal relationship like with the Lord? Am I weak emotionally? Can I bear up under pressure without breaking down? Am I weak mentally? Am I constantly filled with self-doubt or anxiety or fear? Am I weak biblically? Do I know the word enough to distinguish between right and wrong? Can I defend the truth? How much do I know about the Bible? Where does my strength lie? Is physical fitness my priority over spiritual fitness? In all the ways that matter, am I flabby and out of breath? I remember my mother had a, a cartoon. It was a drawing of a man that was a big man, well-dressed in a suit, and he was looking in a mirror, a big full-length mirror in front of him. And what he was staring at in the mirror was a skeleton because what he saw on the outside was someone who was physically strong, physically capable, but he was looking at his spiritual self in the mirror, and he was just a mere skeleton. There was nothing to him. There was no substance to his spiritual life. God expects for us to increase in vigor. He expects us to strengthen ourselves. This word is used in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, and then blessings would follow. And if you look at that passage, it's a beautiful, comforting passage. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16, I believe, through 21. And Paul is praying. He says that, he, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory 
to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So be strengthened. It's the same word here. So that Christ, and this is the result, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more more abundantly than all we can think or ask, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory. So you look at those blessings that follow when we strengthen ourselves, and we're not having to do it alone, but we do have the effort to make to strengthen ourselves. Then we know that Christ will dwell in our hearts. We know that we'll be rooted and grounded in the faith. We'll understand that three-dimensional aspect of God's love the height and the breadth and the depth, and that we'll be filled with the fullness of God. That sounds like some wonderful results of strengthening ourselves. The word is also used in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following. He says, be strong in the Lord. What does he say after that? In the strength of his might, right? Godly strength is not up to me. It's not up to you other than what we do to strengthen ourselves in the word of God. But he provides it when we're committed to him, when we're obedient to him. God gives us what we ask for. Isn't it true that many of us have or want to have daily strength training regimens, physical fitness regimens? We want to or we might have them. And they can be good. They can be really good. But we have to be very careful because we find that sometimes the focus is on our physical strength. And that may distract us from becoming strong spiritually. I think we've probably all seen this. If we haven't seen it in ourselves, it's hard not to see it sometimes in others. Because we're distracted from being strong spiritually when we have a lot of pride in our appearance. And when we become overconfident in our physical strength as opposed to our spiritual strength. Honestly, I've never had that problem because I've never been that strong spirit, uh, physically. I've never uh, experienced that, but I've seen this. Sometimes the time that we spend in physical training can distance us from God. I'm not saying these things are always true, but I just want to caution us not to put our physical training over our spiritual training. That's important. If we spend more time in front of this, looking at ourselves in this, rather than looking into the Word of God, then we need to reevaluate. James 1, chapter chapter 1, verses 23 and following says, If anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a woman who looks at her natural face in a mirror. For once she has looked at herself and gone away, she's immediately forgotten what kind of person she was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this woman will be blessed in what she does. This word also refers to mental strength. God wants us to strengthen ourselves mentally. And I have to tell you, all of you, that I have been extremely, my friends can tell you this, I've been extremely nervous to talk about this because we tend to be defensive of ourselves in this area. I'm asking for all of you to hear my heart 
and to not assume that I'm belittling anyone or denying any kind of mental illness. If you know me at all, you know that I'm an advocate for taking care of things like that. I don't deny at all the efficacy of medicines. I mean, I'm on blood pressure medication, thank you to my husband who scared me to death a few months ago. Probably was there before, but he pushed me over the edge. Those medicines help keep me on a stable course. And I know that there's medicines that help keep us mentally capable of doing things. So I don't deny it. I don't at all deny the efficacy of medicines and therapies. There are definitely legitimate mental and emotional difficulties. I understand that. And I also understand anxiety. I do. I've had it. Don't assume that I don't know any of these things, please. I have my own issues. I understand that medications help us day to day to enhance our lives and enrich our lives and make us able to take things in and function much better. But this is what I want to say. I believe that our culture has weakened us. Our identity becomes so easily wrapped up in a label or a diagnosis. We tend to say things like, I'm an anxious person, and we may be. Or I'm depressed, and we may be. We hear jokes a lot about OCD or social anxiety. But you know what? It becomes easier and easier to become that diagnosis. Sometimes we even project them onto our children. Maybe a nervous tummy before school becomes anxiety. Or our child being teased becomes being bullied. Again, I do not deny that those take place. But I want us to be careful not to project our own thoughts, anxieties, problems, and issues onto our children. I don't deny that some children struggle with these things too. But is it my struggle or is it theirs? Am I guiding them and teaching them mental strength and toughness? Maybe making a friend out of someone that they consider a bully? Or maybe taking the bull by the horns and doing something that we don't want to do? Being courageous about it? Please be careful about this. Some of us may need less professional help than what we think we need through counseling. And yes, it's very valuable. Most of you know that my husband has a counseling degree and we, we counsel all the time. Please don't come away from here saying that I don't believe in counseling, that I don't believe in medication. If you do leave here and say that you're not telling the truth because I'm telling you, I believe in them. I want to say, see your doctor. Talk to a therapist. Take your medicines. But keep going. Keep going. Don't simply think of yourself as your diagnosis. Don't think of yourself as anxious, depressed, obsessive, whatever. Instead, here is your label. Here is your mantra. Here is your focus. I am a beloved daughter of the King. No matter my past, no matter my present realities, He loves me. He died for me. I was created by Him. I am known by Him. I was formed in His image. All that I need, I find in Him. 
please, friends, rest in this. Please don't assume that I am underestimating, belittling anything that you're going through, but rest in who you are. You are a child of God. You are beloved by Him. That is your diagnosis. Think about this for a minute. Think about Paul's trauma. Remember that he was physically, mentally, socially persecuted? Do you remember that? When he left Judaism to become a Christian, what did he leave behind? He lost all of his peers, he lost his friends, he lost his position. He lost respect among everyone that knew him before. Going forward, imagine his new peers were scared of him. They were probably resentful. I'm sure they were resentful of him. They blamed him. They did not trust him. No doubt they shied away from him. He was physically persecuted. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked three times. I would never get on a ship with him. He had a thorn in his flesh that God would not remove. But did Paul shrink from life? Did he shy away from any of it? Did he hide? No, he did not. What did he say in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10? Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I become strong. James tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you believe that? I've seen it in my life. I believe it. I know it's true. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Always, please always remember. Remember who you are. Remember who chose you. Remember who loves you. Remember who died for you. Remember who wants you. Remember that and be strong. Be strong. Finally, let all that you do be done in love. This is not just any love. This is agape love. Agape love seeks the good of others over our own good. And it often goes against our natural inclinations. It's a choice. And often when we, when we experience agape love, it's a difficult choice. When someone who's hurt us, we decide to love them anyway. Maybe our husband, our friends, we love anyway in spite of the things that have happened to us. Remember that Jesus showed this same kind of love on the cross, didn't he? Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still in sin, he died for us. That's agape love. Without agape love, I can be the most gifted speaker with the most beautiful words. But if I speak without love, it's just noise. Can you imagine if the church in Corinth had been dominated by this love? Christians can't be divided if love controls them. Does love control your actions? Does love motivate you? Before you make any kind of decision how to react, do you consider the agape love that we should have for the other person? Think about the disagreements in the church at Corinth, how they would have changed if each regarded one another as more important than themselves. Philippians 2, 
verses one through eight. I'd encourage you to read all of that. Have the kind of mind that the Lord had, the servant's heart and mind. Think again about the Corinthian church. Arrogance and envy, all those jealousies that they experienced would just be wiped out if they were controlled by agape love. And one would not sin sexually if they thought about that agape love. It's a sin against yourself and a sin against someone else. But if you're controlled by the kind of love that thinks the best of others and thinks more of the other person than themselves, it'll be different. Agape love means that I love your quirks. If you have it for me, you love mine. Agape love means that I will carefully help others work through their sin. Agape love means that I'll welcome constructive criticism. That hurts, doesn't it? We don't like any kind of criticism. But when it's offered in love, it's much easier to take, isn't it? Agape love means that I'm not going to say all that I want to say. I'm going to bite back those things and I'm going to fight them inside when I have things that I want to say that would not be helpful. Agape love means instead that my words are going to build up and encourage Agape love means that I'll get outside my comfort zone to do the things that God wants me to do. Agape love means that I'll learn more of God's word. And agape love means that I'll share more of God's word. When we learn more about God, then we love more about God, which compels us to learn more about God, which compels us more to love, love and learn and love and learn. It just is a cycle that goes on and on and it builds and it grows because of the love that God has for us and that we have for Him. Develop this love. Focus on this love. Learn about it. Practice it. Put it in your life every day with every person, and you'll grow. Women, I just want to encourage all of us to wake up and remember that the devil wants you. Amy, the devil wants you. Lynn, the devil wants you. He wants me. Lindsay, he wants you. You know, every single one of us in here, the devil wants. He wanted Corinth. Remember what Paul said about their sin, though? He said, such were some of you. Such were some of you. That former prostitute that was sitting next to you, God doesn't even see that anymore in her. It's gone. It's wiped out. She's clean. She's white as snow. It's as if that sin never took place. We have a more difficult time because we don't forget. But we need to try. We need to love as God loves. Forgive as God forgives. But she, God does not see that sin any longer. The drunk's past is gone. He's a new creation. We've just got to guard our families. We've got to guard our churches. We've got to stand firm in the truth. We need to let our spiritual influence be known and seen and felt in our church, in our community, in our families, even among strangers. I want to encourage you to grow in the Word, to grow in love. I want to encourage you to dive into the Word of God and commit to it and be blessed by it. Be brave. Trust in God's strength and be strong in His might. Show courage. Face your fears. Plug into God's power. It's a practice. It's an alien thing for us sometimes, 
because we haven't done it very much. So begin with a little baby step and keep working. Keep working at it. Be strong and always be strong. The Corinthian church allowed the devil in. Are we allowing the devil in? He wants to come in. But if we stay alert, if we stand firm, if we remain courageous, if we're strong, and if we do all that we do in love, then we will win against the devil. I want to thank you for your attention. Thank you for hearing my heart. Kathy Petrillo wants to make an announcement.